Our text this morning is Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah? against which you have been angry these seventy years. And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster." Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that you would meet us by the power of your word and your spirit. 
that you would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that in seeing Him, we would see you, O Father. We would see our need. Lord, we thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts. Use it in our lives. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, I imagine that for many of you, you have not spent time studying in detail the book of Zechariah. It may be in God's providence that this is the first time that you are sitting in a sermon series in the book of Zechariah. If you've glanced at it, and even just the portion that we've read, it can seem a bit strange. We've looked at one vision in chapter 1, and Zechariah is filled with these visions that are hard to understand and seemingly odd. So, what then is the book of Zechariah? Why should we study this book? Well, this book is a prophecy from God to God's people, and it comes to them at a hard time in their life. It seems like the fame and success of God's people is behind them. That it's all in the past. The world seems overwhelming. This is happening in 520 B.C., as we see from Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. It is in the realm of Darius, the great king of Persia. The pagan nations are in charge of the world. This is at the height of the Persian Empire after the fall of Babylon. And you see, the people of God here at this time need encouragement. Now, having said that, I hope you can see some of the similarities between Zechariah's day and ours. As the people of God, we need encouragement. Are we not tempted to see the best days of the church as behind us? Does it not seem that often all we are concerned about is preserving what we already have, shining what little glory we think is left to the church? We see the nation surrounding the church and pushing against God's law. You see, we need encouragement. Zechariah comes to us even as he came to the Israelites. Who is Zechariah? Zechariah is a prophet of the Lord who is also of the priestly family. In this way, he's like the prophet Ezekiel and Jeremiah. He is an almost exact contemporary of the prophet Haggai. As a matter of fact, Haggai's first prophecy occurs two months before Zechariah's. Both of these prophets returned from exile from Babylon and were charged with the Lord, by the Lord with encouraging God's people to rebuild the temple, to resettle, and to follow the Lord and His law. It was a very small band of exiles that returned. Out of all of the countless tens of thousands that came up out of Egypt and that lived in the two kingdoms with the twelve tribes, a mere 42,360 returned. It is indeed the day of small things in Israel. But God is not through with His people. 
He is not through building his kingdom and he has a word for them to call them to himself. And so this morning I would like us to see two things from our text. First, I would like us to see the call to return to the Lord. The Lord calls his people to return to him. And then secondly, the Lord puts forth a vision, a vision of the sovereign Lord, of the almighty God, to encourage us to know and see the power of God. A call to return and a vision of a sovereign Lord. Let's begin then by looking at the call to return. The call to return to the Lord begins with the need for repentance. God calls His people to Himself. He calls upon them to turn, to return, to come to Him and to leave the ways in which they had been walking. And this reminds both the Israelites of this day and also you and me of our need for repentance. It may seem self-evident for the preacher to say this, but it is true. God judges sin. The Lord has clearly revealed this in His Word and in His will. As a matter of fact, the history of the world shows this judgment upon sin. Our first father Adam and our first mother Eve sinned against God by disobeying Him. And ever since, judgment has been visited upon the earth. Have you thought about every time you get the flu or a cough? That's judgment on sin. Every time your back hurts or your knees ache, That's judgment upon sin. Every time someone near and dear from you is taken from you, that is God's judgment upon the world of sin. The history of Israel showed that God judges sin. As a matter of fact, the Israelites were standing in the midst of it in Zechariah's day. God had warned them over and over again. He had given them His law, given them His word, sent to them his prophets, and they had disobeyed him. They had not thought that God would ever judge sin. And the results were captivity and destruction. Because you see, the problem is we often doubt our need for repentance. We're quick to see others' need to repent. We're quick to see the sins of others and that they need to repent of their sin. But slow to see our own. This was the heart of Israel's problem. You see, they had been chosen by God. They possessed the institutions that God had given to them. They had the temple. They dwelt in the holy city of Jerusalem. They had been given warning upon warning. And so what they came to do was to presume upon God's mercy. They actually came to think that God would never punish them. And the problem of Israel is often our problem today as well. It's easy to look out at the world and see how bad the world is. To see how much they need to repent. To catalog the sins of the world. And we can actually have a view that God needs us. That without us, His kingdom can't go forward. God owes us. But you see, in doing this, We wind up closing our ears to God's word. We don't hear his warnings that come to us over and over again because they become too familiar to us. This happens often in families, doesn't it? 
Have you ever had the occasion where perhaps when you were or are a teen or when you had children that were that age and you would give them a piece of advice over and over and over again about life, about the way in which they should apply themselves to work or the way in which they should work around the house or the way in which they should prioritize things. And it seems that over and over and over again you speak to them and they never respond. And then one day, they go over to a friend's house. And their friend's family or friend or parent says the exact same thing. And they come home and they're all excited and they say to you, I just heard the greatest thing. And you say, I've been saying that to you for years. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. Over and over and over again. But you see, you became so used to it You blocked it out. This is what can happen to us in the church. We become so used to hearing about the Bible and the things of the Bible that we cease to believe and apply the Bible to our lives. We cease to hear God and to apply His Word in our lives. And when God calls upon us to repent, we have to understand that that call comes to us, not to just some people out there. Well, what is repentance then? Repentance is at least two things, and we see them here in our text. First, in verse 4, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. First, repentance is turning from sin. And this word here for return in the Hebrew, it means literally to turn around. To do a 180, as the young people might say. To go from facing one direction to the exact opposite. You see, repentance is first leaving behind sin. Both the works of sin, our actions. We see that Zechariah says this. That we are to leave aside our evil deeds. But we are also to leave aside our evil ways. We are not just to repent from the works of sin, but we are to repent from the way of sin as well. You see, repenting from the way of sin is harder. It's deeper. It's in the heart. We understand what it means to repent of evil deeds because we don't want to get in trouble. We don't do things in a way in which others will see them and judge us. But people can't see and judge greed in your heart or coveting or lust. You see, the Lord tells us we must not only repent of things we do, we must repent of the way of sin, of our attitude, of our bent toward sin. But repentance is more than turning away from sin. It's also turning toward God. It is restoring the relationship that we have with God. It is a turning around. We must turn from sin and to God. And if we think about it, this just makes sense, doesn't it? We can't turn to God unless we turn away from the sin that He hates and that is so the opposite of Him. And how can we possibly have the strength to turn away from sin without the power of God residing in us? We need the Lord's grace, His mercy, and His might to turn aside from sin, to repent. You see, this is what our need is, to leave sin, 
and to go to God. God understands this, and so He calls us to repentance. He calls us to repentance in many ways. The first way in which He does this is He uses past judgments as a warning to us. This is the central point of what Zechariah is saying in the opening of our text. Do you see what he says in verse 2? The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Now this would be obvious to the people hearing this. Because they're standing in the middle of a ruined kingdom and a broken down city with a destroyed temple and city walls that are destroyed. No one could look at what is happening and say, you know, I think God's very pleased with what we're doing. They would see, obviously, that God had judged them for failing to follow Him, for not heeding His warnings. Over and over again, Zechariah tells us, the prophets were sent. The Lord was very angry, and they saw what that meant. And you see, what that means for us is, is that we cannot get around God. He knows us. He knows who we are. That's, after all, why he's speaking. You see, far too often I think we treat God as some kind of super parent or boss. He knows a lot. He's got a lot of important things to say. But he can't keep track of everything, can he? Can't we work the system a little bit? Can't we do something in the dark that he can't see? Can't we find a loophole somewhere? You see, this is our view of God. But Zechariah won't let us have that view. He tells us that God is all-powerful, that He cannot be gotten around. Do you notice, let your eye scan, how many times in chapter 1 the phrase, Lord of hosts, is used. It's almost difficult to read it occurs so many times. Sometimes this is translated, Lord of armies. Some Bibles translate it, Almighty Lord. It all means the same thing. It's describing a God who is all-powerful, who can do all things, and who is captive to no one. No one can work His angles. No one can get around Him and His judgments. These past judgments are a warning to us. But secondly, the Lord reaches out to us as well. It's not just that God is angry, is it? The Lord was very angry, in verse 2. Therefore, say to them, return to me. Isn't that interesting? You see, if God were anything like we were, we would say something like, we're really angry, get out of my sight. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't even want to hear you. Right? That's what happens when you get really angry. But not so God. You see, God is angry with sin. He's angry with us for not following His law, by not seeking a relationship with Him, and He desires to have that relationship with us. (coughs) He reaches out to us. He says, return to me. Come back. Restore this relationship. It's the same thing that James says, In his letter, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God calls us 
to draw close to Him, even in the midst of His anger. Thirdly, we see that God and His will are inescapable. We cannot hope to wait out the anger of God. Have you had that experience where you have gotten in trouble, perhaps at home with your father or at work with your boss, and your whole strategy was to lay low, was to stay out of the way, to wait until the emotions passed, to wait until it was safe to come out again. You can't do that with God. You can't wait and wait out the judgment of God. You can't wait out the power of the Word of God. You see, Israel assumed it didn't need to listen to God. It didn't need to repent. It thought it could just wait God out and eventually He would give up. But God reminds them that His Word is inescapable. He says, where are your fathers? The obvious answer is they're gone. The Word overtook them. Where are the prophets? Even they are gone. The word of the Lord cannot be stopped. Again, they are standing in the midst of this proof. Too many people think the word of God can be stopped. That it can be ignored. That it's not that important. Brothers and sisters, they thought that before the flood came. They thought that in Jesus' day. They think that now. They think that the word of the Lord is short and His arm cannot reach. But Zechariah tells us otherwise. God is continually sending His word to us over and over again, telling us that it is coming, telling us we must repent, drawing us closer to Himself. He has spoken through prophet after prophet, culminating in the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken by His Son. Do you understand that that is part of the meaning of Christmas? That Jesus Christ would come and declare the word of the Lord to His people. To declare a word of repentance. To declare a word of peace, of forsaking sin, and a renewed relationship with the Father that can only be found by coming to the Lord through Jesus. Because you see, the Lord doesn't just call us to repentance. He doesn't just show us our need of repentance. He gives promises to those who are repentant. Notice the way that repentance works here in Zechariah 1. It is a picture of God's grace and how He operates. First, God calls upon them to repent in verse 3. He initiates. He initiates with a call to repent and a promise. Return to me and I will return to you. And then, having experienced the grace and the call of God, the people respond in verse 6. They repent. And then, God answers in verse 16... By fulfilling His promise. I will return to Jerusalem in mercy. You see, this is how God works in our lives. He is constantly in our lives calling us to Himself, showing us grace and mercy, empowering us to be with Him and fulfilling the promises 
that He has made for us. Because you see, the truth is, God is the one who provides for our repentance. You cannot work up repentance on your own. From the very first day in the garden, God was there with the gospel, providing a way of repentance, declaring that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. In the days of Moses, God was there providing a deliverer and redemption from sin and slavery in Egypt. And he continued to send his prophets over and over again to the people of God to warn them. And in these last days, he sent Jesus. You see, Jesus has come to give us repentance. You see, we, like the Israelites, have disobeyed God. We have spoiled His gifts. We have ignored His pleas. But no matter how great our sin, God is ready to receive us. Repentance is a gift that comes from God. God has exalted our Lord Jesus Christ at His right hand as leader and Savior, Peter preached in Acts 5, to give repentance to Israel for the forgiveness of sins. You see, repentance like faith is the gift of God. It is something He brings to us that we might return to Him. This is an invitation from Zechariah this morning to come to Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no better time than right now to return to the Lord, to forsake your evil ways and evil deeds, and to have a relationship of peace and love with your Heavenly Father. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you know the ups and downs of Christian living, you know that there are times when He seems far from you, when your attitude and your heart seems cold, then this is a call from Zechariah this morning to return to the Lord. He calls you to Himself. Day upon day, moment upon moment, it is an invitation to follow the Lord Jesus Christ by faith to embrace Him and to know peace and health. This is the call that we receive to repentance. But there's a second thing that the Lord wants to show us in this text this morning. He shows us not only that He is a merciful and a forgiving God who calls His people to Himself, He shows us He is a sovereign and powerful Lord. And He shows this in this vision, this very specific vision on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, We know exactly when this is, in February 520 B.C. Even in the dating of this, we are reminded that we live in a world that is hostile to God. Do you know when the month of Shabbat is? Well, don't worry about it, because it's a Babylonian month. You wouldn't be expected to remember it. But you see, even in the dating of the vision, Zechariah lets us know that the people of God are surrounded by enemies. They can't even tell their own time. They need a powerful and mighty God to redeem them. And this here is the first in a series of prophetic visions that will come to Zechariah. Now, typically speaking, in broad terms, prophets do two things. They bring the word of the Lord, and they tell of visions they've received. 
When they speak God's word, it is typically a call to repent, to believe, and to forsake sin. The visions are typically laid out to comfort and to give hope to the people of God. And that's what this vision is as well. This vision is for comfort, and it has several main elements as we look at it. I'll try and explain some of the difficulties that we see, because perhaps when we first read it, you felt along with Zechariah that your first question should be, what is going on here? Explain it to me. Well, what we see is a man riding a horse, or rather sitting astride a horse, among myrtle trees. And these myrtle trees are in a glen or a ravine, a low place. And then there are a series of horses of various colors, red, brown, and white, behind the man. So what is it that these things are? Zechariah asks in verse 9, and we get an explanation in verse 10 from the man who is among the trees. But we have to look, I think, at these elements. Remember the context in which this vision is set. The world is ruled by pagan nations. Israel is small and helpless. And this is a new beginning for Israel in which they need assurance. And so the first thing we notice is this group of myrtle trees. A myrtle tree is a small, perhaps six foot at its greatest height, evergreen tree that would grow in Israel. It was known for being small in size, but ever-blooming and evergreen. And so for this reason, it was used by Isaiah to represent the restoration and salvation that comes from God. It was also a symbol for the covenant people of God. It was actually what was used to build the booths at the Feast of Tabernacles. They would take branches from myrtle trees and build the booths to celebrate God dwelling amongst His people. But there's an important figure in the midst of these myrtle trees, in the midst of the people of God, as it were. It's a man. Later on, we are told this man is an angel. And then, just a bit further down, we see over and over again, look at verse 11, it is the angel of the Lord. Now, when we see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, we should not think of individual angels like Gabriel. This is a specific designation, the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, that is used to designate Jesus in the Old Testament. We see it in Genesis 16, when Hagar is visited by the angel of the Lord, and she says, God has seen me. We see it in Genesis 18, outside Sodom, when three men come to Abraham. Two leave, and they are known as angels in the city of Sodom, one remains. This one angel that remains is God, who then begins to speak to Abraham. We see it when Joshua is about to conquer the Holy Land. The angel of the Lord stands before him as commander of the army of the Lord. And he tells Joshua to take off his shoes, for he's standing on holy ground, just like before the burning bush. He is standing in the presence of of God. So this one who dwells in the midst of God's people and who speaks to God on behalf of the people is none other 
than Jesus. Now remember, understand what is happening here to the people of God. It's 520 B.C., and just a few years ago, there was a great amount of unrest in Persia. There was a palace coup, and it looked like the Persian throne might fall. And of course, the Israelites got very excited about this, because if Persia is weak, then they can be strong. They can build themselves up into a kingdom. The only problem that happened was another king took the throne of Persia. He established himself. And now there was stability throughout all the earth. As a matter of fact, we see even from Zechariah that the kingdoms of the world are experiencing comfort and ease. The end of verse 11, they remain at rest. And because the earth remains at rest... Because of this, the man on the horse begins to intercede for God's people. He begins to pray to the Lord, how long will this be? When will there be an end? When will you provide mercy to the people of God? And he begins to do something that we should take for our own. He prays God's promises back to him. He says, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? He remembers the prophecy of Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The city of Jerusalem and the temple were raised to the ground in 586 BC. We know this from external historical accounts. The temple was rebuilt and completed in 516 BC. You do the math. God always keeps His promises. And you see, the man pleads on behalf of the people of God, Have mercy, O Lord. Show your mercy. And there is a merciful reply that comes from God. Look at how he responds to the angel of the Lord. He answered gracious and comforting words to the angel. You see, God wants us to come to Him so we can have comfort. God wants us to spread the news of what He will do. That's why the angel is told Zechariah to cry out, to spread the news among the people that God will protect His people. And the first promise that comes from God is that He will return with mercy. Do you see this in verse 16? Therefore, says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. God is found merciful among His people. But He doesn't stop there. There is a second promise. That God will be with His people. Look at the next part of verse 16. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, the temple will be rebuilt, but this is about more than just a building. Zechariah, unlike Haggai, is not focused on the building of the temple. He's focused upon the people of God and building them up 
and building up their hope, their faith. God will dwell among His people. And after all, isn't this what we have seen? That God has gone far beyond His temple? That God is with us. Just as Matthew told us in chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. Which means, God with us. You see, God is with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is dwelling with His people. So have hope. Have comfort. No one can take Jesus from you. No matter how hostile the nations are. No matter how small the church seems. Jesus is with His people. But there is yet a third promise to come. And that promise is that God will build up His people. Look again at verse 16. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. You see, this third promise is that the people of God would be built up. That's what you do with a measuring line. It's an architect's tool. You use it to measure, to lay out walls and buildings and gates. And you see, what God is saying here is, I'm not just going to be merciful to you. I'm not just going to dwell with you. I'm going to build you and my kingdom up. Have hope. Have faith. You see, the Lord does not merely want us to persevere. I think sometimes in our day and age, Christians have a view of themselves as hanging on to a cliff by their fingernails, hoping that they can make it and hold out against the forces of the enemy. That's not what God says. He says the church is on the offense, not the defense. That the church is being built up by His power. That we need not fear the powers of the world, they should fear the church. They should fear the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is always building up His kingdom and calling His people to Himself and making them holy and righteous and good. You see, the Lord is promising here the prosperity of the city. But we have to be careful how we define that. That doesn't mean an amount of food or types of cars or wealth or clothing. No. The prosperity of the city here comes from Zechariah to remind us when we think everything is all bad. When we look around the world and all we see are problems. That God is at work. That God is establishing His people. Establishing His kingdom. And when we see this, we will be comforted by the love of God. Because you see it at times, even though we seem alone. God is with us, Zechariah says. At times when we feel like we are without hope, Jesus Christ intercedes for us. Do you know the comfort and peace that comes from returning to God? The Lord calls you to Himself to forsake sin, to come to Him, To see Him build His kingdom in the world and in your life. 
And He does it through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord who intercedes for His people. This is exactly what the church needs. Comfort found in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for this word from Your prophet and the way in which You give us hope and comfort even when it seems hopeless because we have forgotten, because we have failed to look. Lord, point us toward the Savior. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.